be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you to White Oak this morning. As always, um, at White Oak, we have the privilege every week of seeing a lot of new faces. It's been a really, really great season in our church. Um, And so if you're here for the first time, I just want to say thanks for joining us. Uh, My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the honor of opening God's word for you. Um, And before I I dive into the sermon this morning, I I didn't plan to do this. I, I just really quick want to just honor Lindsay for leading us in music. Um, she did a great job. Would you give a round of applause? She is, she is so anointed, so gifted, and um, just leads us so well. There's so much work that goes on behind the scenes to make this happen every week, and she does such a great job with it. Um, her and Keith are actually going to go to Guatemala for a month, so they're going to be away for a month this summer. Um, this is our last Sunday for a few weeks because they're going to learn Spanish, like an intensive thing where they're like, going to immerse themselves in the language. And so I'll uh, be praying for them. But um, I just want to honor you, Lindsay. I, I remember when I first became the pastor here a few years back, you know, if you guys were here back then, we were still meeting in our own gym. Um, and we were probably about half this size. And um, I remember... Um, I was having trouble finding someone to come do music for us. It wasn't the most appealing job at the moment, you know. And so I had to call Lindsay, who's like literally my cousin, to come and like call like a family favor to have her come lead for us. And so she came and um, has just done such a great job with it. So I want to honor her and just say we're going to miss you So for the next month. So thank you for that. Uh, but the title this morning as we uh, dive in is uh, God's Not Done With You. God is not done with with you. I, I don't know if you know that this morning, but God is not done with you. God is still working in your life. God has a plan. He has a purpose behind everything that happens in your life. And though the enemy wants to distract us and to discourage us, I, I deal with discouragement sometimes. Raise your hand if you do in life. You deal with discouragement. Things aren't going the way you want And I say that because I think um, in life, at least the life that I live, and I think most people I talk to, we spend all of our life trying to, like, arrive somewhere, you know? We're always trying to arrive, and and we have this feeling that, like, I'm one thing away from, like, arriving where I want to in life. And if I got this one thing, you know, we've always got the one thing, but then there's, like, a new one thing. That's kind of how it works, right? And yet, let me offer you this crazy thought that I thought of this week in accordance with our, our texts, which are talking about wisdom and pride and humility. Here's a thought I want you to contemplate with me this morning. You will never reach complete self-sufficiency in this life. Not because you won't grow and not because you won't make progress, but because we were never designed to just live completely separate self-sufficient, isolated lives. You will never reach self-sufficiency even in heaven because in heaven we will still be dependent and orbiting around the glory and the sustenance of God. The idea that we can make it on our own, that we didn't even choose to be born and yet we show up in this world and think that we're going to get to some place where I've got it from here, I don't really need God, that's for other people, and I don't really need other people in my life. I can kind of do it all on my 
own, you will never reach that place. And if you've been killing yourself trying to get there, may I offer you a better message this morning that you would throw yourselves into the loving arms of God because he created you to walk with him all the days of your life. And I say that because this morning we are talking about an extremely important topic. And at first, you may not think it relates to you, but I'm going to explain how it relates to all of us. We're talking about pride this morning. And most theologians would agree that pride is the root of all sin. So sin is disobedience to God. Sin is doing what you're not supposed to do. It's falling short of God's law. God says one thing, we do another, we sin. But theologians or people who study the Bible will say the, the why behind every sin, or so we sin, that's what it is, that's the what. But the why behind why we sin, the root of all sin ultimately is pride is confidence in ourselves outside of God and what he has for us, this idea that we know what's best for us in our lives. And if pride is the root of all sin, then we could also make the case that pride is also the root of all of our problems in life. And yet the good news this morning for you and for me is that God offers us what we call preemptive grace in the wisdom of the Proverbs. Grace, uh, preemptive grace in the Proverbs is God teaching you and me. So we're going to learn this morning so we can fix the mistakes that we're about to make in the future. Living a wise life, living in wisdom is fixing your mistakes and avoiding your mistakes before you even make them. Sometimes God forgives us in grace after we make a mistake, but sometimes God also, God also gives us wisdom to live by so that we don't even make those mistakes in the first place. And that is the growing aim of the Christian life. And so this morning, what I want to remind you is that God is not done with you, meaning I want to bring you back to reality if you think you can make it on your own. But also God is not done with you to provide hope for you, for those who feel stuck in life, for those who feel like you're in a season you can't get out of, you're longing for something, you're trying to get somewhere, you can't seem to get there, you feel stuck in a rut, maybe even in your Christian life you feel kind of stagnant. There was a good season in the past, God did a good work back then, but today things just aren't very good. And what I want to show you through the scriptures is that through humility and opening yourself to God, you can find yourself in a new season. And yet before we dive in, here's the problem with pride. Is there another problem with pride? The problem with pride, and I didn't, I didn't mean for this to rhyme. It just kind of happened, okay? So just this is not like cheesy dad joke alert, you know? Um, the problem with pride is it's easy to hide. That's pretty good, isn't it? The problem with pride <laughs> is it's easy to hide. I say that before we dive in this morning because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read these verses in the Proverbs, and it's going to sound like a really arrogant, boastful person. And you're going to think of the most arrogant, prideful person that you know. And you're going to think, yeah, these verses apply to them, but not to me, right? Thus, the problem is so bad that we are so prideful that we don't even notice our own pride in life. Because if pride is the root of all sin, if you still struggle with sin, then you struggle with pride. And I believe all of us struggle with deep-rooted pride. But here's the problem. We're Christians, which means that we're the best at hiding our pride. Christians are the best at it. Because we know what not to say, right? We do like the humble brags, you know. We almost take humility. I mean, we almost take pride in how humble we think we are at times, right? One of my favorite uh, phrases that one of my friends used to say in college was like, humble is still the best, right? Humble, but I'm still the best. We can hide our pride and therefore we don't address it and therefore we don't find the healing 
And therefore, we don't grow because we are prideful and we do not realize that God has not done for us. He has much for us. But if you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs 16, 18. We're going to be all over the scriptures this morning. Proverbs 16, 18 is where we're going to start. Proverbs is kind of close to the middle of the Bible. And the first thing I want to look at this morning is what is pride and why is it so damaging to us? Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride brings, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The first thing we need to understand this morning is that pride brings failure every single time. What is pride? Pride is a self-sufficiency that we have in this life that is not true. Pride is believing that we know the most and that we know the best, whether in regards to God or to others. Pride is an obsession with our own understanding, ability, intelligence, and gifts. Pride is living based upon our understanding alone, assertions, and our thoughts. Pride is never questioning yourself that maybe what you want for yourself is not what is best for you. Pride is never questioning yourself and never questioning your feelings because we rank those as supreme. And yet in Proverbs 11:2 it says when pride comes then comes disgrace but with the humble is wisdom. And so what we see in the scriptures and the proverbs is that the areas in which we let pride take root in our lives are the areas in which we can expect to eventually fail. And let me explain why that is. The reason why pride brings failure is because pride is a lie, right? You ever known someone, they act like they knew everything, right? The reason why pride brings such a big fall is because you lie and you get yourself in these positions where everyone thinks you know all these things and then eventually the truth comes out that you can't really do all that you said you could, right? And so then people are shocked because you gave off this image, you had it all together. Maybe you, that's you, like you had it all together and then your life fell apart. You give off this image, but then the truth comes out that you really don't have all that you said you have. And that's why pride comes before the big fall. It's false advertising. But then turn with me to Proverbs 16.5, so a few verses back. This is a very straightforward, helpful verse for us this morning. It says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Pride brings failure because God does not bless God does not bless pride because God cannot bless pride. God cannot bless our pride, our self-sufficiency, because it is the opposite of his loving nature. God is loving and merciful and kind to us. God cannot bless somebody who does not display those things to other people. You say, well, I've seen arrogant people and prideful people become successful. Just wait. The movie's not over in their lives. The end will come. Pride brings failure because God does not bless pride. But pride, is also, pride also brings failure because it is a prison that prevents progress. Turn to Proverbs 18.2. Man, the Proverbs talk over and over about this. I love, I love this, this verse. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I memorized this in college because I, uh, I went to a Christian uh, university to study the Bible. And when I went there, 
um, there's just something about studying the Bible in college. It just makes everyone like an arrogant theologian. And like we go to classes and we just like argue about theology the whole time. And all of us are just trying to like, you know, make our points. And we're not open to what our, our peers are thinking or saying, right? We're just kind of arrogant. And I found myself falling into that trap. You know, I'm a competitive person like anybody else. And so I, I like to win and we'd be talking about things. And it's supposed to be, we're talking about Jesus, right? So it's supposed to be like this loving environment where we're encouraging each other to love and good deeds. And it's just like, well, when do you think Jesus is coming back? And this is why no, you're, you're an idiot. That's wrong, you know? And, oh, what do you think about this? And how should the church look? And this and that. And it's like, we're just like arguing the whole time about like just stuff that all of us are probably wrong about anyway, you know? And so I literally memorized this verse in college and held myself to it because a fool takes no pleasure in understanding God or others. He just wants to let you know what he or she thinks. Pride is revealed when we are more interested in telling God what we need rather than asking God to provide for us what we need and trusting him. Pride is revealed in an apathy towards community, an apathy towards gathering with the church and getting involved in community because we think either we have it all together or we look at those people in that community group, I don't have much to learn from them. I'm smarter than they are. A lack of hunger to learn from other people may be a side of pride of your life. It may be showing that you don't value how God gives gifts to other people. Oh, the treasure that awaits you in the relationships in the body of Christ. But then pride also brings failure because it is a prison that keeps you from your purpose in life. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, God's will for your life is sanctification, meaning God's will for your life is that you would grow in your faith. And pride keeps you from that purpose. Pride also brings a failure to know God. In Psalm 14, 1, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Let me repeat that. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The problem that the atheist or the agnostic may have is they don't even consider the reality of God's claims. They can't see anything because their eyes are closed. An atheist will often say, I can't understand God or I can't follow God because I have to understand all of it. Because here's the reality. If my awesome mind can't comprehend something, then there's no way it could be true. That's what pride does to us. Pride closes our eyes to reality. Pride just brings failure in our lives because pride is a prison that we put around our lives, where we say, I've arrived in life, I know what I'm doing, I don't need God's help, I don't need people's help, I know everything. Pride is a prison. And yet before we move on to the hope this morning, the opposite of this, what God calls us into, which is humility, I want to make one quick note. I want to ask you to be wary of the places where I believe Satan is most likely to plant pride in your life. In Genesis 3, uh, it's a story of the fall where Adam and Eve eat of the tree that God told them not to eat of. And what I noticed about that story this week is that um, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us some of the things of what God did, but it lets us know about the tree that God put them in the garden and told them to not eat of this tree. And what I found interesting was that whenever Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, he doesn't talk about something random. 
But Satan actually talks to Adam and Eve and begins to deceive them and plant pride in them in regards to something they were already familiar with. So think about that with me, right? So, so God puts them in the garden. They, they know about the tree. God's told them about the tree. God's told them the purpose of the tree. So they've obviously thought about the tree or contemplated the tree. And Satan comes along and takes something that they are familiar in, plants pride in that, and then they fall, sin enters the world. And so here's what that means for me and you. I believe that Satan plants pride in our lives and the things that honestly we are gifted in and we are good at, okay? So here's the thing. Satan is probably not going to plant pride in your life in terms of like you're the best basketball player in the world, right? Because you won't buy into that, right? You know you're not the best basketball player in the world. That's Kevin Durant, right? LeBron James. That's like a big controversy right now in the NBA. Think about it. Where do you struggle with pride? Is it not in the things that you are good at? Is it not in the areas in which God has gifted you? Is it not the things in which we invest our time in? Does the teacher get offended when you tell them that they're not good at building buildings? But what if you tell the teacher, man, you can't teach? I believe the enemy plants pride in the things that we're good at, that we are gifted in, and we need to be wary this. It's like in marriage. Marriage is a great example for like all of human issues, right? I mean, marriage is like, you know, I'm a great spouse. You know, I'm a good husband. You know, I think I'm an awesome husband. And so therefore, Satan plants that pride in my life, that pride in my heart. And then my wife comes to me and says, you got some things you got to work on. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm awesome. You see, the the moment when I kind of get too comfortable, when I think God is done with me, that I don't have room to grow, if I think I've arrived in an area, if I have too much confidence and pride in an area, when someone brings something to you, you don't consider it. Because pride is a prison that brings failure. And yet here is the hope this morning. Turn to Proverbs 18.12 with me. Proverbs 18.12. It says, Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, meaning prideful, but humility comes before honor. I love that. Humility comes before honor. In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek or the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. See, humility brings favor because God blesses Humility. Humility wins in the end. Pride always loses in the end. Think about every movie you've ever watched, right? What happens in the end? The bad guys are defeated, right? And the good guys win. And usually in the movie, the bad guys start something, right? The bad guys are, are, are doing something bad. They're, they're prideful, and the good guys have to stand up to the bad guys. Every movie tells the same story. And in a way, the scriptures tell the same story as well. God's love wins in the end. God's humble and persistent love for us. You see, God honors our faith. And faith is trusting in God and looking to God. Turn to Luke 19 with me. Uh, Luke 19 is in the New Testament, last third or last fourth of the Bible. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the famous story you learn about in kids' church about Zacchaeus. Say Zacchaeus with me. Zacchaeus. That's an interesting name. We need to bring that name back. So Zacchaeus, 
it's going to say it in the text, but Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector. And so, uh, whereas the, um, the Pharisees in the New Testament were like the prideful religious people, the tax collectors were kind of like considered to be like the prideful, you know, worldly people, I guess you could say. Tax collectors were confident, arrogant, entitled. They would take advantage of people. It was almost assumed that if you were a tax collector that you were ripping people off and making money off of it. Tax collectors literally, like, and you'll see it in here, they're just like tax collector equals like just sinner, right? That's bad. It's like tax collector is like you're just not the greatest person, okay? And so Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. So this is a really, really bad dude. And yet Jesus does a work in this man's heart. Let me, let me read it to you. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He's a short guy. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay in your house today. What do we see here? The one anxious to see Jesus, the one open to what Jesus is saying, the one curious about, the one drawing near to Jesus. Jesus is like, I got to go to your house. I'm going to come dine with you because humility brings the favor of God in our lives because it's in line with God's nature and he blesses that. Verse 6, it says, so he hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The crowd didn't like this. It says, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, which he most assuredly had, of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What a beautiful image of the gospel. Oh, the most misunderstood thing about Christianity is they think it's about just being a better person, just being a more moral person. I remember when I was in high school and I, I really began following the Lord and I, I had some friends that were kind of on a different track and their whole perspective was just like, he's just trying to be more moral of a person. That's like all that they could ever think about it, you know? Just trying to be more moral. Zacchaeus was not a moral person. And this shows the offense of the gospel because the gospel is not about what we do for God, but about what Christ has done for us. As Christians, we are Christians not because we're good people or better people than others or because we're Americans and Americans are the best. Man, we're like Texas Americans, right? We, we have a lot of potential for pride. And Texas Americans, biggest city in the best state. In the, yeah, anyway, so you get the point, right? But the gospel says all of us are on even footing. Zacchaeus was the chief of sinners, but he was open to Jesus. He drew near to Jesus. As it says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus draws near to people who are humble. Zacchaeus was willing to climb a tree. And my question to you is what trees are you willing to climb to see Jesus? When you're an adult and you climb a tree, like you just lose all dignity, right? You're the short guy climbing. Like, how embarrassing, right? Big bad tax collector can't even see over the guy in front of him. 
but he was willing to do whatever it took. Zacchaeus was a humble man, willing to put in the work and willing to change. This week, I saw a really good image of, of humility. Um, uh, Halsey and I at our house, we've had this issue where um, like our driveway is, as I often refer to, like a dumpster fire, where uh, we had this big old tree that like totally like destroyed our driveway and then we cut down the tree. And so like the driveway went up because the roots raised it. Then we cut down the tree and then it like crumbled. It was like, this, like a crater hit my driveway. And so we started getting bids and the guys were coming out and they were like, this is like, these are people that do this for a living. They were like, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a driveway this bad, right? I mean, it was just like really bad shape and they're like, give me all these really big bids. And this one guy comes along, right? And some people, you can just tell they're, they're a little bit different. And I mean that in a good way. So this one guy hops out the car, right? He's coming to give me a bid. I've gotten really expensive bids and I'm just praying some guy's gonna bring that price down a little bit, you know, because I just want to be able to drive on my driveway. It got so bad we couldn't even drive the Corolla over it, you know, because it's like so low to the ground. It just would like scratch the bottom of the car. And so this guy comes over and he gets out and he was kind of like an Hispanic version of Mike Dicka, um, like the old football coach in the 1980s. He had like the thick old glasses and this like amazing thick mustache. I mean, it was just, it was amazing, okay? The dude was like, and he had this air of like, it was like almost like theme music was in the background when he's like walking. Like he just seemed like legit, you know, and he was cool because like he had, you could tell he knew what he was talking about, but he was also like very humble. He wasn't arrogant. Like he was explaining the process to me because I know nothing about concrete or driveways or anything. I'm like an idiot, you know, and so he's explaining it to me, right? But I love this guy because this was the definition of a hard working man. He hands me his business card, right? And literally on his business card, it just says concrete work. It's got a picture of a bald eagle, an American flag, happy 4th of July. And on the bottom, it just says, Jim. Like, no last name, just Jim. Just a dude named Jim that will fix your driveway, right? Like, I don't even think it was a business. It's just a guy that does the work. And he gives me an amazing price. And yet I, I noticed this guy was a little bit older than the other guys that were coming out, right? A lot of his young guns were coming out and, you know, trying to do all this stuff. And this, this guy was like, he had like the old man strength, you know? He's like the old guy that's got all the wisdom, knows how to do everything, right? And I asked him, I said, man, by the way, how, how old are you, right? Because this guy looks like he's, you know, maybe only 50. He's like, I'm 70 years old. And then I'm thinking, surely, because no one else came with him. I'm like, surely this guy's got a huge crew, right? Surely like, this guy is not going to be the one doing the work. This guy's 70 years old, right? But anyway, I gave him my job. I wake up the next morning, right? Jim is in my driveway, no joke, with a sledgehammer, a manual sledgehammer, 70 years old, busting up my concrete and starting to remove it. There was a guy in his 20s there, but he was literally driving the machine that was picking up the stuff and dumping it in the dumpster, Jim is literally a 70-year-old man at my house, 6 in the morning, middle of Houston, hot summer. It was like 97 degrees outside, no shade in sight, because we cut down the tree, right? Because it was messing up my driveway, right? <laughs> the dude's just like, he's just like soaking in it, but he looks comfortable. Like, he's, he's not phased by it. He's like busting up my driveway. And then he finishes that thing. He goes and gets this big old pickaxe from his truck, brings the pickaxe in, starts literally like hacking the roots that were destroying my driveway. And like, he's like hacking them, like throwing them to the side. He's 70. It's Houston, June. But this dude is going to work. He works all day Friday, 
all day Saturday. And the pinnacle was like, surely Jim is not the one that literally pours the concrete into the driveway at 70 years old. But sure enough, he's like backing up the truck, you know. And they're pouring the car. The dude's like, he's like, he has like one other guy working with him. And he's, he's literally 70 years old in the hot sun, ankle deep in hot concrete. Going to town on my driveway. And afterwards, I was like, Jim, I got to talk to you. I got some questions, man. Like, you got to. I was like, what are you doing, man? He, sa- he says he walks five miles every morning, right? So he, he, he starts his first job, like, when he works, because um, he wants to beat the sun a little bit. He, he gets there by um, 6 o'clock, right? He lives on the south side of town. But before he gets there at 6, he walks five miles every morning. So he probably wakes up at, like, 11 p.m. at night or something. <laughs> And I asked him, I said, man, like, I mean, what, what's your secret? And he basically said, like, it's in my blood. It's really cool. He said his grandfather was actually one of the key guys that built the Galveston Seawall back from 1902 to 1904. He said it was in his blood. He said he'd been doing it for 46 years. He'd been doing concrete work and hot driveways longer than I've been alive. And then I asked him this one question before he left. I said, man, because he did an amazing job for, like, literally half the price. I said, man, like, have you ever thought about, like, I know you're 70, you know, maybe the window's closed a little bit. But have you ever thought about, like, really expanding this business? I mean, you do great work. I mean, literally, you could probably take over the driveway concrete industry, right? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I like what I do. He goes, I like working with my one or two guys. I like going to work. I like uh, doing the job myself. I like helping my clients and the people that need help with what I do. It pays my bills, and that's enough for me. And it just shocked me in my mind of like, my American mind of like, it's always progress. It's always like build the brand. It's always like get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. And it's so hard for some of us to think that some people would just go to work, do their job, Trust God and go home at night. I'm envious of that contentment. I'm envious of that humility. I mean, there's probably concrete companies that know half as much as this guy all across the city with, with a company 50 times as big. But Jim is a hardworking and humble man. He just loves the process. He just loves the work. He just loves the sweat. I think that's such a great image of kind of why we should follow Jesus, not because he's going to give us everything, but just because we love the process. We just love the obedience. It's like when you exercise, you know, it's like whenever you exercise, it's like you don't see results immediately. Like your reward when you, it's just the sweat. You see, humility is just like doing a good job and not really caring what people think about it and not really thinking how big people think you are. It's just going, doing it, enjoying it, helping people, and laying your head on your pillow at night and going to bed and saying, that's enough for me. But pride so quickly runs us ragged. And so you might be asking, okay, so John, now how do I apply this in my life? And I want to give you one sentence that if you write one thing down today or if you write one thing in your phone, I, I want you to write this down. The first thing I want you to do is write down 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, which I'm going to read for you here in a moment. 
1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. But I want you to get this one idea this morning. Because we so often misunderstand humility and really what it is. Humility is not self-deprecation, meaning demeaning yourself or constantly belittling yourself, but God-exaltation. Humility is not self-deprecation, but God-exaltation. Let me read you 1 Peter 5, 6-7. This is where I get this from. Peter says, and he's writing this to a church facing persecution, right? He's, he's writing this to a church that has like started following Jesus, but it's been a little bit harder than they thought, right? Things aren't turning out the way they thought they would. And they're beginning to have questions. It's tough and they're not sure what to do, right? And this is what Peter says. First Peter 5, 6 through 7, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that God at the right at the proper time may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you humility is not about self-deprecation it's about God exaltation Humility is not talking about how bad you are, how much you can't do. That's what we always think. Humility is like lying about what you're gifted at. You know, I'm, not, I'm awful at that. You know, it's like we think that's what humility is. Humility is not acting like we're awful, but exalting our glorious God who does great things. Humility is admitting that we need God and that we know God will come through for us. That is true humility. Humility is not self-deprecation, it is God-exaltation in our lives. Because what does Peter say? He says, humble yourselves. But then how do you do that? He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Look to God for your needs. Trust in God with a bold faith for your needs. The entire Christian life is only lived by faith. It's not about what we do for God, but it's about what he does for us. Humility is faith that he is going to provide no matter what anybody tells you and no matter what you tell yourself because this is the word of God and it is true, even more so than our feelings. Humility is not about losing your battles. Humility is about having the faith that God will win your battles for you and trusting that, as Peter says, that he will win them at the proper time for you. One of the ways we can tell if we're living in pride or, or humility is pride is a result, or pride happens, or you can tell you're in pride whenever you're frustrated with God because he's not doing things on the timeline in which we want God to do it. Our pride is revealed when we don't trust God with where we are. God's word says he's not done with you, and yet we begin to believe maybe he is. This is it. God's never going to come through, right? I know because I've got a really good brain and I'm evaluating everything and it looks like he's not going to come through. Humility is not just accepting you're going to lose, but humility is trusting that whatever God promises in the scripture, you can have all of it. But we have it only through faith because scripture says it is impossible to please God without faith. Pride is when we are unwilling to change. And pride is whenever we're wanting something to change, and yet we forget the fact that, that maybe the reason why God hasn't changed our circumstances is because we haven't learned the lesson yet. 
Pride is wanting something to change and never considering maybe what needs to change is me. Maybe God is growing me. In James 1, he talks about how God does not tempt us, but that God does allow things to come our way. He does allow trials as a result of our sin, but ultimately that will become stronger, that will grow and become more steadfast in our lives. Prideful is when we look at our circumstances and something that we want and say, God is not coming through because he doesn't love me. Humility is, is saying, God is teaching me. God is reproving me because he does love me. Humility is trusting that at the proper time, God will do the proper thing and trusting in that. Humility is saying, I'm going to dig around in this season of life until I find what God wants me to get out of it. Because humility is not about self-deprecation, but God-exaltation. As we draw to a close, I'm going to leave you with just one final scripture. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Maybe you're stuck in a season in your life. Maybe there's something that you're really wanting to happen and feel like are needing to happen, but it's just not happening. Maybe you're trying to decide for the first time if you're really going to give your life to Jesus or if you're just going to kind of stay on the fence about it. I want you to hear Philippians 3, 12 through 14. I want you to hear what Paul says. Paul was a guy that if anyone could have been prideful, it would have been Paul. He was a, a Jew of Jews. He was more moral than everybody. He was a brilliant, smart man. God had done so much in Paul's life. And yet Paul knew that pride is a prison. Paul knew that he would have to embrace humility to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to consider I'm not going to bank on what God did in the past because he's just as active in my life today. And the best is yet to come. Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He says, I didn't do it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the upward call of Jesus Christ. Humility is saying, I will not live as if I have arrived. No matter what God has done in your life or not done in your life, no matter how old or how young you are this morning, I pray that you will live hungry for what God has for you hungry for what he can do through you, hungry for the ways that he can conform you to the image of the perfect son, Jesus Christ. I pray you'd be hungry, like, like, like forget what happened in the past. Quit looking back to that season because God is working on you in this season. God's doing a new work. And may we just recite this over and over and over and over again. I press on for the upward call because God is not done with me. Because the hope of humility is that God is not done with you. There is so much more to come. The best is yet to come. And as a church, may we continue to encourage each other in that endeavor. To say, man, the past was great. But keep your eyes open for what God has for us this week, this month, and this year. God is not done with you, church. Always remember that.
Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your newness. And God, I believe that you're going to do a work in these people as a result of your word. God, I pray this morning patterns of sin would be broken. I pray long-standing depression would be healed. I pray today that we would be willing to get up and walk into whatever you have for us. Believing, God, that you are going to do a work in us. God, Satan wants to say, be prideful, you've arrived. He wants to imprison us there to keep us stagnant. And you say, press on, press on, press on. I pray you would reveal what that looks like for each and every person here. What is pressing on for the greater things yet to come? What does that look like? Show that to your people as we live humbly and open to whatever you would have for us. I pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.